0: You're welcome to go ahead and have a seat. I want to just go ahead and take a moment and welcome you to Hagerstown Church. It's a pleasure to see you here and to be able to worship with you this morning. My name is Josh McLean. I'm one of the pastors here. And today is an interesting day. You may have noticed um, that uh, Pastor Tim was not here. and uh, we, we really love Pastor Tim, although we didn't miss him much. We've got a great band without him. We can, we've, we can, get, uh, we can get going without him. But we're, The greatest thing that I miss about him is that he's not here to worship with us. He takes it very seriously to be here with us, but I want to just share this with you. He's actually back at our sending church, so this morning they had an opportunity um, to celebrate uh, 10 years, or this month actually, 10 years of, uh, of a church being in existence, and so they invited uh, Pastor Tim to go back and speak and to share the word there, and so pray for him this morning as he preaches, even right now, to the congregation whom many of us know and love there in Martinsburg. God is good, uh, and we missed Tim, but uh, we're glad that uh, he was able to be used there. I'm going to ask you a question this morning as we jump into the sermon. If you could have anything in the world, what would it be? If you could have anything in the world, anything, what would it be? If you could ask me, and i just make it happen. Yesterday I was driving with my daughter, and I wanted to try to pursue her heart a little bit and get to know her a little bit more, and so it's just me and her. We're driving down the road, and I said... Caroline, what's your favorite thing? If you could have anything to eat, what would you ask for? Well, I guess she had never been asked that before. It took her forever to answer the question, and she hemahawed around, and she couldn't come up with a solid answer. And finally, I pressed and pressed, and finally she says, Chick-fil-A. So if you can eat anything, she'd want to eat Chick-fil-A. I'm I'm pretty close to that. I would love to have some Chick-fil-A. But then she began to think, I know what he's doing. He's going to take me to Chick-fil-A. And I said, "Nope, that's not. I'm just trying to get. I'm just trying to love on you and pursue you a little bit and, and, and to care about you and, and, and just round her out continually as a person. And that's if you're thinking this morning that that's what I'm getting ready to do, to, to, to answer whatever it is, though that's not the case. But, but what is it? What is that one thing? What's the, Immediately what comes to mind? What's on the forefront of your mind? Maybe it's a new car. Maybe it's uh, to get your house paid off. Or, or maybe it's a new tractor. or what, Maybe it's a, a, the latest Apple thing. Or maybe it's health. Maybe this morning you'd like to have health. Maybe this morning you'd like to see the scars that are in your life to be removed, whether they be physical or spiritual or emotional, whatever they are. What is it, that one thing, that you would ask God to give you? You'd ask me. I I can't do it. Let's pretend that God was asking you that question this morning. In our reading, we read this past week, we read of a man by the name of Solomon. He was the son of David. And in this Kings and Kingdoms series, as we move forward, we've, we've seen Saul, the first king of Israel. And uh, he didn't follow uh, the Lord and do so well. And so the Lord removed him and brought in David, anointed David. And, and Saul didn't like that too well. And so he chased David around. David kills Goliath. And he ends up uh, outliving Saul. Saul's killed on the battlefield. And David reigns, unites uh, the, the tribes there and does a fantastic job for the most part. Um, he's a, just a model Jesus follower, God follower, God fear. And even in his sin, he still models for us uh, uh, just how we are to confess sin and how, how do we to repent. But then David dies. And his son Solomon comes to the throne. And, and so that's where we are in this Kings and Kingdoms series. And as Solomon comes to the throne early on in his ministry, he decides that he is going to uh, follow in the footsteps of his father for the most part. So he believes in the Lord, he, he follows after Him, and right there at the beginning, as he's making sacrifices to God just in, a, in some sense, setting the, 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 the path for how He'll walk moving forward, God comes to him and asks him, "What would you want me to give to you? What would you want me to give to you?" And the, the account of this is in First Kings chapter three. We'll read verses 1 through 14 this morning. So again, if you have your your copy of scriptures, you can look at there. Also, it'll be on the screen. I invite you to follow along with me. The Bible says that Solomon made a marriage alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her into the city of David until he had finished building his own house in the house of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. The people were sacrificing at the high places. However, because no house had yet been built The name of the Lord. Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statute of his father David, only he sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. The king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was where the great high place was. Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I shall give you. Solomon said, You've shown great and steadfast love to your servant, David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness and righteousness and in uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David, my father. Although I am but a little child, I don't know how to go out or to come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this, your great people? It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked for this. And God said to him, because you have asked for this, And have not asked for yourself long days, riches, or the life of your enemies. But have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right. Behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind. So that none like you has been before you. And none like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked for, both riches and honor so that no king shall compare with you all your days. And if you walk by my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. Solomon awoke, and behold, it was a dream. Then he came to Jerusalem and stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord and offered up burnt offerings and peace offerings and made a feast for all his servants. May God bless the reading of his word. Would you pray with me? God, as we look at your word this morning, we come to it and we ask that you would speak. We know that you've given us your scriptures this morning. They are sufficient, they are authoritative and over all we do, all we face. And God, this morning, we as Solomon are a people in need of wisdom. As we go our different directions and we live our different lives, Coming from different places, we gather this morning, and we all need the same thing. Father, we need wisdom. And as you do, typically, you know where we're at beforehand, and you make provision as such. You've invited us again this morning to ask for wisdom. And so I do that now over this, your people. God would you give us wisdom? Would you give us a discerning heart? Would you allow us to see how you see both good and evil and what is the differences between the two? May we, may we be faithful to walk in that truth, that wisdom that you have given to us. We ask these things in the name of Jesus, not, not in our name, not in, for our glory, but for his alone. According to his agenda and his mission, we ask these things. Amen. It's a bold promise in the New Testament that we see. I want to remind you of it. Jesus tells us that whatever we ask in His name, He will do it. Whatever He asks or we ask in His name, He will do it. And we see that same theme here in this passage that when we pray according to God's will, He answers. When we pray according to God's will, He answers. So, I want to take a look at the life and reign of King Solomon and walk through this text this morning, chapter 3 of 1 Kings. I want to pull out some, some observations and even demonstrate, uh, see in the life of Solomon, some demonstrated practical points that we can apply to our lives even this morning. And so, as we do, I bet you'll notice this that Solomon feared the Lord. The first thing that you'll notice is that Solomon feared the Lord. And you may not see that language there, but I want to demonstrate to you that it actually is there. So, before we look at the evidence for this and, and I prove to you that the fear of the Lord was, on, was in Solomon's life, I want to define or just work to define that term, fear of the Lord. Oftentimes, when we hear the fear of the Lord, we may get confused, especially when we're younger. We associate in our culture just fear with utter horror or terror. And while that is associated with this idea of fearing the Lord, that's not the definition. Perhaps a better uh, word to, to, to use other than horror or terror would be awe or reverence. Awe or reverence. So an awe for the Lord, a reverence for the Lord. It's difficult to come up with a proper illustration here because all other things fall short. If I were to say, well, uh, awe is similar to what you would have when you run into a lion or some great beast out in the field or if you're out in a small kayak in a bay and and a large uh, whale appears next to you, you might be in a bit of awe. But even that demonstration would fall short. Think of Isaiah chapter 6 when Isaiah saw God. He saw a vision of God. The Bible uses language that, that would help us to, to see that Isaiah literally melts before God. He just falls on his face. This is awe. As he sees God in all of his glory, in all of his majesty, in all of his power, and all of his holiness, just melts before God. This is awe. This is fear that Solomon had in his life towards God. So God's a being altogether different. Solomon feared him. It's clear that we also see that he loved the Lord. So his fear was also demonstrated in his love. Look at verse 3. It says this. Solomon loved the Lord. Walking in his statutes or the statute of David his father. Only he sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. To, to love the Lord meant that he enjoyed an intimate relationship with God. He enjoyed an intimate relationship with God. He was not only acquainted with the Lord... Yeah, I know of him. But not only did he know him, but he liked him. He loved him. He cared for him. He desired that relationship. Solomon loved the Lord. And what's more, his love indicates to the fact, or points to the fact that Solomon recognized that he was the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant during this era. God had promised to David, Solomon's father, that as long as David served the Lord, followed and walked in his statutes that there would always be a son of David on the throne. Always. That promise was still ringing true as David breathed his last. And God was fulfilling that promise through Solomon. And Solomon recognized that. that as he loved the Lord, as he walked in his statutes, God was fulfilling that promise that he had made to his father through Solomon. And just as quick as Solomon would not walk in the paths of the Lord, God would remove him from that that throne and and bring up another seed of David to rule on that throne. Solomon noticed this, he recognized this, and he dwelt in that, loving the Lord. Oftentimes as love does, I should say every time as love does, love leads to obedience. Even Jesus said this, if you love me, keep my commandments. So Solomon here, loving the Lord, is keeping God's commandments. It says that he walked in David, his father's statutes. He followed the same law that David did. So we see all these things that help us to understand and paint this picture of Solomon as he he stands before God in the fear of the Lord. We, We see through love, through obedience, through sacrifice, Solomon fears the Lord. I want to encourage you to consider that in your own life this morning. Do you fear the Lord? Do you fear the Lord? As I asked myself that very question this week, I struggled to answer it. Well, what would I point to in my life that I could say, no, this demonstrates a fear of the Lord? I ask you that question. I don't want to wear that alone. What does it look like in your life to fear the Lord? What does it look like to fear the Lord? Do you make sacrifices? Do you give of your time, your talent, and your treasure to the Lord? Do you use your resources to worship the Lord? It says here that Solomon sacrificed a thousand sacrifices for God. No matter what it is, whether it's a, a sheep or a goat or a, or a thousand good and plenty, that is a lot of sacrifices that is being made here that Solomon is giving to God. What, what does that look like in your life? What does the fear of the Lord look like in your life? Solomon had it. I want to encourage you to, to, to search your heart. Do you fear the Lord? Another thing that I couldn't get over as I looked at this, uh, this testimony of, 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 about Solomon, some of the mistakes that he was making even early on at the beginning of his life, at the beginning of his rule, the first few verses here, they offer information that could both puzzle and concern and even bring pride to any Israelite of the day as we see that Solomon is being a, a politician. He, and he's not just a weak politician, he's a strong politician. And he's leading the children of Israel to, to, to the greatest level that they would ever reach, politically speaking. Solomon begins to, to politically align himself with other nations, and he, he marries even politically into Egypt. As we hear that, maybe you're even sh- shuddering just a little bit that he would do that. God had clearly said that the Israelites, specifically the kings, were not to return to Egypt, that they had left Egypt and they would not go back, not for horses or anything else, and yet we hear we see Solomon. Making a move that was probably not the best decision. Now there is explicitly, the Israelites were commanded not to intermarry with the Canaanites, and that on that list was not the Egyptians, but still the the truth would it would still apply. The warning is this that as Israelites would intermarry, they would begin, those those wives would begin to, to change their heart towards God. It's a sad commentary to say in chapter 11 of the same book that we see that is true of Solomon. that His many wives, more than the Egyptian wife, but his many wives began to turn his heart away from Yahweh, the one true God. But here in this time we see that God still comes to Solomon. He still approaches him even though he's made some mistakes. Don't be quick to to assume that in that story, as you seek to apply it to your life, to think that now God winks at our sin. In no way, mind you, does God ever wink at our sin. In no way does God shirk or or look the other way as we choose to do things against His will. That's not the case. He never winks at it. He never overlooks it. But God is long-suffering, and God is full of patience. God is long-suffering, and He is full of patience. I want you to imagine Jesus spending night and day with his disciples. Imagine. Have you ever been around somebody and they just had some idiosyncrasies that just got on your nerves? Maybe right after you get married, to those of you who are married, you think about all of a sudden, after the honeymoon, you began to see all the things that just got on your nerves. The, toilet, the stereotypical toilet seat being left up or the toilet seat not being wiped, right? All right? The toothpaste, the thing not being opened up. You began to see as time goes on, right, in those first few days after the honeymoon, you began to see all the, the terrible things that you just despise about your roommate or, or your spouse, right? Some of you have been there even more recent than others, We can all relate as we get closer and closer to somebody else. We begin to see all the things that just grate on our nerves. That's so petty. Imagine Jesus spending day and night with his disciples. Jesus, the very Son of God, the sinless Lamb of God, never said, did, or thought anything wrong, right? Never left the toilet seat up, right? Never had a bad thought. And he's living with these disciples every day. Imagine Jesus he looked around it was obvious to him all of their shortcomings all of their failures every time they said something that wasn't true that wasn't right that maybe was even misguided whatever it was he saw and heard and knew every single bit of it and yet what did he do he didn't he didn't scare his disciples off they stayed with him right why because while jesus was perfect And the disciples were sinful. Jesus was patient. Jesus was patient. And that's a great piece of news for us today. No, God doesn't wink at our sin. He doesn't look the other way. Unconfessed, unforgiven sin is damnation upon us. And yet God is patient and long-suffering with us. As he draws us to himself, as he sanctifies us. As he cleanses us of our sin, as we read last week. And conforms us into the image of his son. So as you look at Solomon's life and you say, why would God come to him? Why would God approach him? Why would God give him this offer? Not because Solomon was perfect. And not because David was perfect. But because God is patient. Because God is patient. And I hope that as just a side note this morning, that that brings some level of comfort and encouragement to you this morning. And not that you'd be wooed and lulled into complacency in your life as you pursue holiness. Not that. That you would make much of God as you see him a little clearer this morning. The God who is holy and the God who is both holy and patient at the same time. And so Solomon knew this. Proverbs 9.10, he knew this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is, in, is insight or understanding. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom of wisdom you see the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom it's not the end of wisdom it's just the beginning it's just getting started so as we look at the life of Solomon and we see he already feared the Lord he already loved the Lord he already wanted to obey the Lord he already had a reverence for him he was seeking after him there in Gibeon even if it was misguided even if it was not what God had asked He was still seeking the Lord. He still had fear for the Lord in that. And in that is the beginning of wisdom. It's my encouragement to you this morning as we try to work through all the different things that we try to make decisions about. Well, should we do this or should we do that? Should we dress like this or should we dress like this? Should we do this or should we do that? Should we listen to this or should we listen to that? Should we watch this or should we watch that? Listen, all those questions are great questions. But before we ask that question, we have to ask this question first of ourselves. Do we fear the Lord? Because that is where the beginning of wisdom is. The fear of the Lord. So it's ironic that Solomon asks God for wisdom. He asks God for a discerning heart. It's obvious to me, I'm sure it's obvious to you, or at least it's becoming clear, that Solomon was already a pretty wise dude, right? He didn't ask for uh, money, right? He didn't ask for health, he asked for wisdom. What's beautiful is it pleases the Lord. It pleases the Lord that he would do this. So God comes to him again and says, Solomon, what what, what would you like for me to give? Anything, just ask. We'll we'll see about making it happen, right? Solomon begins to think through his current situation. Much has changed in Israel over the last 30 years. Saul took over as king. It was just really a bunch of tribal uh, groups trying to be unified together under King Saul. And King Saul was basically a warlord trying to to defeat the enemies and to unify the people. And he was successful to some degree. And then King David comes into play and he's able to take it to even the next level. David spends the entirety of his time as king swinging the sword, so to speak. The entire time he's ruling and expanding what the territory that God had promised to the children of Israel. So, time after time, war after war, and I'm going to say this war costs money. This is on Solomon's mind. War costs money, but not only does war cost money, war brings in money. Because when you defeat a king, when you defeat a territory, when you tear down a kingdom, you get the spoils of war. And so, David, as he ruled the people, it was light. You can understand that probably taxes weren't as high. And now as Solomon comes to to power and the land is at peace, they're not out there making money as they take over the land that God had promised to them. That's not taking place. So the coffers, if you will, are a bit empty. Solomon has to then begin to imagine financially how he will lead the people. How will he he rule? How will he uh, keep up all his fancy tastes and the king's horses build all these projects while he taxes the people either way he has to figure that out and there's a burden on him he needs wisdom as he tries to lead God's people even to build the temple of God a long desired uh, edifice for the people of God how was he to make it happen financially uh, Solomon needed wisdom not only financially, did he see himself in a, in a situation, but politically. As the nation grows stronger in actual number, Solomon says they're, they can't even be numbered, right? As they grow stronger and bigger, the problems just get more and more. Not to mention, as, the, as they grow, the culture gets more and more diverse, and you know how difficult that can be to rule politically in a climate such as this. As the land spreads out even more, it's difficult for the king And yet all of this decision-making, all this judging, it all lands squarely on Solomon's shoulders. Desiring to lead well, not for his own name, but for the glory of God, he sees that he's got a predicament here. And he has an opportunity. He sees the financial situation. He sees the political climate. And he begins to realize personally that he is not qualified or skilled enough to do this on his own. So personally, he begins to realize that, hey, I'm, I'm a 20-year-old boy, right? He's not, even, he's not even allowed to decide whether or not he will drink alcohol or not in the U.S., right? And he for sure can't uh, run for president. And yet he is the king of the nation of Israel, of a world power, if you will. This is, this is Solomon. And personally, not in a self-deprecating way, but he begins to see his own shortcomings, his own weaknesses before God as he considers his situation, as he considers the plight, the responsibilities that are resting squarely on his shoulders. He says, I'm not an idiot. I know that I need wisdom. So when God comes to him and says, I will give you anything that you want, Solomon says, I already know. Look here. He's not hem hauling around. He's not saying, oh, I'll get back to you on that one. We don't know how long it took here. Either way, Solomon says, I know the situation that I'm in. And God, I need your wisdom. Verse 9, he says, Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to govern this, your great people? Solomon says, I need your help. He requests from God an understanding mind or a discerning heart. And that phrase literally means a listening heart. He's asking God, remember, this is similar to what David is asking last week, asking God to create in him a clean heart. And now Solomon is asking him, "Hey God, give create in me a hearing heart, a listening heart." The Hebrew word that's used here, it can be it, it, it implies not just hearing but acting the Hebrew understanding, you're not actually hearing something if you're not doing it. Maybe mom or dad says, did you hear me? Well, why would they ask that question? Because you're not doing what they asked you to do, right? And so here we see Solomon saying, God, give me a listening heart. Give me an obedient heart, one that is in tune with your words one that one that is seeing things the way that you see things one that loves the things that you love god would you give me what you already have would you give that to me this is a prayer that we should ask as well we should ask that god would give us a discerning heart that he would give us an obedient heart in other words we should ask god for wisdom we should ask god for wisdom Notice how Solomon assessed the situation that he found himself in as he looked around and he thought, This is where I'm at. This is the predicament that God has placed me in. And he goes straight to God and says, God, this is what I need from you. He's not tempted to ask for fame, he's not tempted to ask for money. Listen, money doesn't solve your problems. Money will never solve your problems. In the words of the famous philosopher, mow money, mow problems, right? That doesn't answer it. It's not how it works. What we need from God is wisdom, just the same as Solomon. What's, a, what's so beautiful is that the Old Testament is, is, is supported here in the New. It says this in James chapter one, verse five. It says, "If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generally to all without reproach, and it will be given him." What a fantastic promise. Can you hear that? This is wonderful when, you, when we come face-to-face with something. that's like, if you do this, this will happen. I love those because we can test and see, right? We, we, we stay up late. We watch that infomercial. We're there for over an hour. We don't know what's just happened. We're watching this thing. We're like, now I just want to know. Does it really do what it says it will do, right? How many of you have found yourself maybe ordering that one thing? You got sucked in, and then you ordered it. Now you're like, all right, I'm going to test and see. I'm going to see. Is this true? Does it really work the way that it said it will work? And you go and you press the button or you flip the switch or you plug it in or whatever it is and you see, does it actually work? This is one of those things. We can test and see, does this really work? There's a promise here. If you lack wisdom, how many of you lack wisdom? On a daily basis. Lack wisdom, what do you do? You ask of God. Listen, here's the promise. God gives generously to all without reproach. He doesn't hold back. This is a promise of God. It will be given to you. Imagine as you sit in that seat, the lights come down, the music gets louder. You're one step closer now to that million do- dollars that's guarded by Old Regis. You know this that you have one phone, a friend, one lifeline left, and that friend that you have queued up, ready to call, is God, right? Imagine how you'd feel, right, in that situation. Like, <laughs> I'm one, I'm one call away right? I'm one step away from losing it all. I'm one step away from winning it all. But I've got one lifeline left. I've got one phone a friend. I'm going to use it on this last step. You know this, what? It's a shoe in You've got the answer. How much greater that God would give us a promise like this? If you lack wisdom, ask. He won't hold back. He's not stingy with his wisdom. He will give it to you. So let me ask you this morning, what trials do you face this morning? What do you face this morning? As a pastor of a fledgling church, as I look across the faces here this morning, it's concerning to me as I say this very thing because I look into the eyes of so many brothers and sisters whom I know and love and I wonder, what are they facing today? What's the answer to the predicament that they are in, to the questions that they are asking? And here's here's the full disclosure. I don't know. I don't know the answer to your problems. I wish I did. I want to. But I can't. I don't. And yet God has not called me to stand here this morning and say that I do because I don't. But he has called me to say this. If you lack wisdom, ask of God. He will give it to you. What a beautiful promise. What a, what a, how restful can we be now as we know that we while we may not have the answer We know who does. So, what trials do you face this morning? Where do you need wisdom from God the most? Is there an area in your life that you feel overwhelmed, like a child? You don't know what to do next. Ask God for wisdom right now. Ask Him for your future. Assessing your life and laying it out before God humbly, ask Him to lead you in the path that you should go. Whether it's a career path, whether it's a, a position at your, at your job currently, whether it's a college degree or whether you should pursue one or not, ask Him. Whether it's a relationship that you should be in or that you shouldn't be in, ask Him. He gives it to all men and women liberally when they ask. In parenting, on your faces, before God, ask for wisdom. God, these are your children. Show us how we should lead them. Show us how we should raise them. On our faces, we ask God for wisdom in this situation. One of the great jokes of parenthood is that they don't come with an instruction manual, and yet they come with a promise from God, who loves those children more than you ever will. And he says, ask of me, and I'll give it to you liberally. I won't hold back. I won't hold back. So in those difficult interpersonal relationships, not knowing uh, how how to proceed, it's not black and white, the situation that you're in, it's not yes or no, it's not an easy answer. As many decisions that we face are, humbly ask for wisdom. But as you do, as you approach God, know this, that you cannot hold back. You can't hold back. You can't be two-faced. You can't be half in, half out. Verses 6 through 8 of of chapter 1, they warn us. i want to read them to you this morning. It's not just if you lack wisdom, ask of God and he'll give it to you. There is some instructions that follow. Not necessarily fine print, but interesting and necessary nonetheless. It says in verse 6, But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. And these verses, they warn us not to be double-minded. And the, and the idea is this, that we might not actually believe or have confidence in what we hear back from God. So the picture is this. We realize that we're in a sticky situation. You've been there before. You don't know how to proceed and so, in faith, you go to God and you say, God, tell me how I should proceed. Give me wisdom on what I should do next. Really, in your heart, you're thinking, I might not listen to what he has to say. Matter of fact, I think I already know what he's going to say. I just want him to confirm that, and then I'll make my decision as to what I'll do. That's what James is saying. Hey, listen, you're not going to receive anything from the Lord, you're not going to receive an answer from the Lord because the Lord knows that it's double minded that you truly don't want to know the wisdom that he has to impart. So the warning that he gives us is stiff. Until your yes is on the table, God will not give wisdom. Until you give him control, he's not going to answer your request. Have you ever asked somebody for their personal expertise only to then discard it? Maybe that's happened to you. Somebody's asked you your opinion and you tell them your opinion and then they say, well, thanks but no thanks, right? God never has to do with that. He never has to deal with that because God already knows if you're coming to him with a double-minded heart, unstable. Verse 13 of John chapter 14. So John chapter 14, verse 13, Jesus says this. This is interesting. He says, Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Jesus shares that with his disciples as they're walking out of the upper room, they're winding down through the streets of Jerusalem, as they're heading out to the garden where Jesus is going to be uh, arrested and and then shortly after crucified. He's got some important information to share with his disciples. He says this to them, whatever you ask in my name, I'll do it. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. You see, not only does God say to us, hey, if you lack wisdom, ask of it. but It doesn't just apply to wisdom. It applies to anything. It's not just wisdom. We can can ask for wisdom knowing that God will give it to us, but we can also ask for anything Jesus says. He, He spreads that out. So whatever, anything, that's amazing. That's, a, that's an extremely wide promise that God would offer to us this morning, that he would offer to his disciples, that whatever you ask in his name, he will do it. There's this little prepositional phrase, a clause, if you will, that we need to take a look at in Jesus' words. What we ask of God must be asked in Jesus' name. What does that mean? What does it mean that whatever request that we have, it has to be in Jesus' name? It's not just, speaking of, by the way, attached with some type of a rubber stamp. Oftentimes, we just naturally end our prayers on a regular basis with, in Jesus' name I pray. As we raise up children and we hear them praying, similarly similar to the way that we pray, we begin to hear, like, it's just this rot thing, they're just saying it over and over again, and Begin to think, well, what does that even mean? What does it mean to pray in Jesus' name? I'll offer you two things this morning. What does it mean to ask in Jesus' name? Well, First, it means this. To be in Jesus' name, the request request has to be in accord with Jesus' mission. To pray something in Jesus' name means that you've requested it in accordance with Jesus' mission. So it can't just be a rubber stamp. It's not just something that we tag on to whatever we want. Some kind of a genie in a bottle. If we just say in Jesus' name, we get it. No, it's not that way. Whatever we pray has to be in accordance with Jesus' mission. You see that phrase, it limits the scope of the requests. His mission was to glorify God. Jesus' mission was to glorify God the Father. It was to seek and to save that which was lost. So when we pray in accordance with that agenda, with that mission, he hears it and he answers it. When we pray in accordance with Jesus' agenda, in accordance with Jesus' mission, he answers it. So not only is it, does it have to be in accordance with Jesus' mission, but additionally, praying in Jesus' name is recognizing that Jesus is the one who supplies our needs. It's a, it's, a recogni- it's, a recognition. it's a recognition that God is supplying and meeting our needs through Jesus. So he's the one who delivers the goods, not Walmart, not your family, not even you. If you ask anything in my name, Jesus says, I will do it. And so the danger of the genie illustration is that we already have a view of God that imagines, imagines him as some type of a cosmic butler. That's where this whole genie thing breaks down. It's not a good analogy because Jesus is not some kind of a gopher, bring me this or fetch me that. It's not what Jesus is teaching here. He's not saying that I just want to bless you. I just want to give you stuff. No, Jesus is saying if you ask in my name according to my mission, according to my agenda, recognizing that I am the one that will fulfill it, that I will answer it. So with that in mind, jump back to 1 Kings chapter 3. I want to highlight again for you verses nine through ten. First Kings chapter three, verses nine through ten. It says this: Give Solomon says, give your servant therefore an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this your great people? For who is able to govern this your great people? Verse 10, it says, It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this request. You see, God knew the source of Solomon's request. God knew the source of Solomon's request. He sincerely wanted to be able to lead God's people as the Lord would have him. That's what he wanted. He wanted to lead God's people in the way that God would have him to do. So in a sense, his heart was pure in this area. And that, my friends, pleased the Lord. It pleased the Lord. In the book of James, again, in chapter 4, the writer, he's working to answer some questions that the early church is struggling with as some of their minds are wandering about why this is happening or why these things aren't happening. And So in James chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, the Bible says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire it and you have not, so you murder you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And you ask and do not receive, listen, because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You see, these Christians were fighting because they, in their core, at their very core, had selfish motivations and selfish desires. And that's why they were fighting amongst each other. And that's why their prayers were not being answered. Because they desired things that weren't according to God's will, and they were something that they wanted to consume on their own lusts, on their own personal desires. Their own agendas were setting the stage for how they would proceed and what they would ask God for and how they would interact with their brothers and sisters. They, they wanted to please themselves and not God. and So in contrast, God was pleased to answer Solomon's request because it was for God's glory and not his own. He didn't ask for wealth, or fame, he asked to be better equipped to serve the Lord as king of God's people. He asked the Lord for the tools to be better equipped to serve God's people. So to be shunned and avoided are, are the so-called preachers who say things like this. God gives financial blessings and success to those who have enough faith. Or in a world of either haves or have-nots, God wants you to have. That's garbage. That's garbage. It's garbage. It's not what God intends for us. That's not why he gives us the tool of prayer. Not to ask for things that can be consumed on our own lust. But to ask for things that, we can, that will help us to fulfill the mission that he has called us to do. Which may include blessings physically, financially, but it may not. Many are the servants and saints of Christ who went without in this world. Many. And yet God was pleased in their lives as they would request that God would fulfill his mission through them by giving them the tools that they needed. This is the life of Jesus. As he came to seek and to save that which is lost, he depends on God, asking of his Father not not to be consumed on his own lust. No, he emptied himself out, living a selfless life. So with these things in mind, i finally just encourage you and ask you to check your own heart. Finally this morning, check your own heart. Ask yourself this morning, what is my motivation? Why do you ask for the things that you ask for? Why do you ask for the things that you ask for? Why do, the, why do, you, why the, why do you have the struggles that you do in your life? Is it possible that the struggles that you face in your life are attached to the fact that you desire your interactions with your fellow man to be consumed on your own lust and that's why there's wars and fightings among you is it possible is it possible that the reason why you don't get anything that you ask for or that one thing or those few things that you're asking for repetitively are not being answered is it possible because you're asking that they'll be consumed on your own lust for your own personal glory ask yourself what's, what's your motivation why do you desire the things that you do Perhaps you're here this morning and you're wondering why God never hears and answers your prayers. Maybe it's your heart. Maybe you're asking for the wrong things. Our scripture reading just a moment ago looked at Psalm 27. And how David says, I've asked God for one thing. Now Solomon, David's son, he's the one that God came to and said, I'll give you anything that you want. Just ask. Solomon asked for wisdom. We don't know that that ever happened to David. We don't know that God ever came to David and said, hey, is there anything that you want? I'm going to ask your son the same things. So I just want to be fair. We don't know that that took place. But David says in Psalm chapter 27, verse 4, he says, one thing have I asked of the Lord, and that's what I'm going to seek after. And he goes on to say that I want the presence of God. And in a nutshell, that's what Solomon's asking for. He wants the wisdom of God. He wants the eyes of God. He wants the ears of God. As as your pastor this morning, I, I desire that in my own life and in your life as well, that we would look to the Lord and we would say, God, we just want you. We just want your presence. We want your wisdom. That's the very thing that we want. I'm asking of God this morning that he would help us to see our own hearts this morning. And that as we do see that we're different, we want different things, we, we love different things, we, we want from the giver of give gifts, we want different kinds of gifts. We don't want the gifts that we've been given. I want, I'm asking God over us this morning that he would change our eyes, and that he would align our desires with his desires. I'm going to close with this. Psalm chapter 37, verses 4 and 5 says this, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. It almost seems like a loophole, doesn't it? When I was a child, I remember hearing that and thinking, oh, now I know how to get anything I want from God. If I'll just delight myself in Him, if I'll just give Him a high five, if I'll smile at Him real big in the morning, then everything's going to be good, and I'll get whatever I want. And that's not what He's saying here. You see, when you delight yourself in the law of the Lord, when you delight yourself in the Lord, your very being changes, your desires begin to shift. You become aligned with the desires and the preferences and the tastes of the Lord God. And then what does he do? As as our will is aligned with him, then we pray and we ask. And what does he do? He gives it to us, whatever we ask. So church this morning, fear the Lord. Begin there. Fear the Lord. Don't try to work. Don't try to find the next big task. Whatever it is, don't do that first. First, start here. Fear the Lord. That's the beginning of wisdom. And then go to God. In that state, go to him and ask for wisdom. Ask him. And don't stop there with wisdom. Ask him for anything. Knowing this, in faith that he will give it, no matter what he says, that you'll follow it. This is the life of Solomon. This is his testimony for us. And lastly, check your heart. If you're recognizing your own life that you're not seeing the results, you're, God's not blessing you, Ask this, what's the motivation for you to ask those things? Check your own heart. Church, when we seek first the the Lord and his agenda, he gives us what we need and what we want because what we want is then what he wants. And when we pray according to God's will, in Jesus' name, he answers. Would you pray with me? God, we ask that you forgive us this morning for wanting lesser things. God, so much of our lives are consumed and centered on things that matter nothing, that will give away or that will break down. We spend so much of our lives searching things that matter for nothing, that have no eternal value. God, that we would love and have taste for things that are so far beneath you, so offensive to you. God, we ask this morning that you would create in us a clean heart. You would reshape our hearts, our desires, our tastes, and that we would be holy, solely after you. That you would be what we would want this morning. God, we pray that as we seek you, that you would allow us to find you and to see you for all that you are so much greater than all that this world has to offer so much greater than anything that we've ever seen before anything we can even ask or think or even know or imagine that you are so much greater than all these may we see you this morning as Isaiah did high and lifted up and all the things that we have that we desire that they'd melt away and that you'd create in us a clean heart God give us this this morning we ask these things in the name of Jesus and for his glory alone Church, I want to invite you to stand as we sing together. But don't waste this opportunity. Spend some time in reflection, asking God even now to give you wisdom as we spend some time reflecting on the fact that God's mercy is more to us.